All right, so <clears throat> Acts 20, last week we got to verse 16, so we'll be picking up in verse 17 this week. And uh, this passage from 17 to the end of the chapter goes really well with the uh, passage for Sunday for the sermon, where we'll be in 1 Corinthians 4. So um, hopefully it all feels like it flows together, that it complements each other well. I, I thought that as I was studying, so hopefully you feel the same way. Um, and let's recap a little bit what we looked at last week. Kind of run your eyes back over those first 16 verses there of Acts chapter 20, where uh, Paul and the gang, that would have been a good band name, huh? Paul and the gang. Uh, they were traveling about, and I gave you some maps last week that we looked at. They were going through various islands uh, there in uh, east of Greece on the eastern side of the Aegean. Uh, next to Asia there, and they stopped in Troas, where a young man fell out of a window. Wow, what an ordeal. But he was alive. Uh, his life was still in him, and uh, that's, that was the big event that happened in Troas's history. That's how we can remember Troas in the Bible. Uh, but then they just kept sailing through and stopped at Miletus, a place called Miletus. Their ship had to stop there. And if you have your maps from last week, hopefully you can find Miletus there on your map, and that's where we are in the text today. Uh, they are stopped there, and it says in verse 17, from that town, that, that city of Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. So he probably sent out an able-bodied person to run down to Ephesus and get the elders so they could come back to Miletus, and then he could have a chat with them. Uh, this is an interesting section of the book of Acts. Believe it or not, this is the only uh, passage in all of Acts that has a record of Paul giving a message to fellow Christians. Isn't that interesting? You've got Paul evangelizing all the time. We have Acts 13, Acts 17, some of these big passages. This is the only one in all of Acts where Paul is giving a message to fellow Christians. So we want to treat it with care, and we're going to take two weeks uh, today and next Wednesday to cover from 17 to the end of the chapter. So would someone would like to read verses 18 to 21 for us? Acts 20, 18 to 21. Rex, go ahead. The mountains. Uh, Paul sent to Ephesus to the elders of the church. When they arrived, he said to them, You know how I lived the whole time I was with you. From the first day I came into the province of Asia, I served the Lord with great humility and tears. Although I was severely tested by the plots of the Jews, you know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly and from house to house. I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. Okay, very good. He says in verse 18, he refers back to how he lived among them the whole time from the first day that he set foot in Asia. Asia is the region uh, where Ephesus is. Then they just called it Asia or Asia Minor. And if we were to think of the first day he set foot in Asia... What, what did he mean? Can we think where in the book of Acts that was? Look back two chapters. <laughs> two chapters. When he first came to Ephesus, it wasn't 19, chapter 19, actually. It was chapter 18 when he first came to Ephesus. 
Look at verses 18 to 21. Chapter 18, verses 18 to 21. It says, Paul stayed many days longer, this is in Corinth, and then took leave of the brothers and set sail for Syria, and with, with him Priscilla and Aquila. At Centre he cut his hair, for he was under a bow. Verse 19, And they came to Ephesus, and he left them there, but he himself went into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. When they asked him to stay for a longer period, he declined. But on taking leave of them, he said, I will return to you if God wills. And he set sail from Ephesus. So that was the first time that he visited Ephesus. But I don't think that's the first day that he had in mind when he was talking to these elders because he was there very shortly. In fact, he was asked to stay longer, and he said no. Um, he stayed there a long time, starting in chapter 19 and verse 1, where Paul, it says Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. This begins a longer period where Paul was uh, in that region. Would someone read verses 8 through 10 of chapter 19, just to refresh our memories? Uh, chapter 19, verses 8 through 10. Who's got that? All right, so this is the extended period when he was in that city of Ephesus. And he had those first three months where he was ministering to who? The first three months in verse 8. Who was he evangelizing? Who goes to a synagogue? Jews. Come on, wake up. Who could, we can do, let's all say it together just to get our blood flowing. Who goes to a synagogue? Okay, all right. He was focused on evangelizing the Jews for the first three months, and then for the next two years, he was in a school, the Hall of Tyrannus. He was renting out a school there, and it was both Jews and Greeks who were hearing the word of the Lord. And it's likely that during this time in the city of Ephesus that Paul installed elders, that this church was growing. We had believers. He was there for over two years. And it's likely he was installing the very elders that he's talking to in chapter 20. Because he's reading chapter 20 that he calls the elders. Well, where did those elders come from? From Paul's ministry in chapter 19. So that's what Paul was up to. And if you're big on timelines, if you like to know when all this was happening... It's likely that in chapter 18, when he was in Ephesus just briefly, that that was, there are some that get really specific with it. I'm afraid to get really specific. So I'm going to say about the year 52, 52. So you can kind of think about where that is from when Jesus lived and died and all that stuff. And then the second time that he was in Ephesus, that was likely uh, from the year 53, like one year later, to the year 55. 53 to 55 is where we are uh, on the timeline there, okay? And so um, when we get to chapter 20 and we get to verse 17 where we are tonight when they're at Miletus, because <clears throat> this is the third time now he's interacting with people in Ephesus, but this time they came to meet him in Miletus, we're around the year 57 now, the year 57 when Paul is meeting with these elders. And Paul is on his way to where? Can you remember that from last week's study? Where's Paul headed? Jerusalem. For what? Good, Pentecost, good. On his way to Jerusalem for the celebration of Pentecost. Miletus is just a stop along the way. 
Um, and you, you have to imagine that Paul and these men, these elders from Ephesus, that they were close. Uh, two years is a long time. And when Paul was there, it was probably an everyday affair that they were getting together and chatting. It wasn't a Sunday and Wednesday night thing. <laughs> it was probably every day. Uh, he talks about in this section how he went from house to house. He was in their homes. He knows what their kitchens look like. He knows where they put the bread and all that stuff in their house. Uh, they were close. And so Paul has a heart for these men, perhaps more so than in other cities, because he was there for so long and got to know them so well. And what we see in this message to the elders from Ephesus is really a heartfelt message. He really cares for them as shepherds, as he has shepherded them uh, for multiple years. And um, Luke calls them elders. You see that in verse 17. Luke, just writing the narrative, says, uh, Paul calls for the elders. But Paul doesn't call them elders. Let's see what Paul calls them. Look, here, look uh, down at verse 28. Um, what does Paul call these men? How does he refer to them? Okay, he uses the word overseers, and that is a different word than the word for elders. The word for elder mean, is the word presbyteros. It's where we get the word Presbyterian, because their form of church government is elder-led. So they have the Greek word as their denomination, Presbyterian. Uh, that's the word for elder, and it literally means an older man. The word for overseer is also the word for bishop, and it literally means to watch over, to have eyes that watch over. So these are watchmen. They are those who watch. And what are their actions in verse 28? What are they called to do? Shepherd. They are called to shepherd uh, the flock of God. And that they are to, as a shepherd with his sheep, to care for them. Um, let's see. There's another word. And I, I'm using an ESV now. I prepared with an NASB. And I know I'm using an ESV. Why did I do that? Uh, it also says somewhere in here, and we'll get to it eventually, guard. At least in the NASB it does. It says guard. You are to guard the flock. Guard the church of God. So they are to look over. They are to guard and they are to shepherd. Uh, these are all different words, but they all work together. And they're very important tasks for local church leaders. 31. Okay, good. Be alert, be on guard. Good stuff. Any thoughts or questions about these elders or how we got to this point as we just went over some bits of history there? Okay, we're good, on the same page. Well, let's start looking at these verses. Um, verse 19, Paul is reminding them what his ministry was like among them. And he says that he served the Lord with three things. What three things? Ooh. Wow. What a great advertisement for leading in the church, huh? <laughs> Humility, tears, and trials. That's, uh, that's an amazing way to sum up a ministry. Um, when he talks about humility, the culmination of this thought, and really, uh, it's so well put. It's very poetic in the way that he puts it. It's found in verse 24. What did he mean by serving with humility? And we'll come back to this verse later. But look what Paul says in verse 24. I don't account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course in the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. He did not count his life of any value. 
Talk about humility. And this is the type of humility that we see uh, Paul writing to the church of Philippi that they should have. Have this attitude among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, that though he existed in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself, taking the form of bondservant, and he was obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. That's humility. That's the Christian's call, but particularly that's the call for those who lead the church is to be humble. And he says, tears and trials, tears and trials. And the trials were because of whom, according to that verse? The Jews, the plots of the Jews. It's just like we're reading through the book of Acts and you know what's going to happen. Paul goes to a city and you know what's going to happen next. He's going to go to the synagogue. And then after he goes to the synagogue, he goes to the Gentiles because they rejected him. And they find out that he's over there with the Gentiles and then they want to kill him. It's just like it happens over and over and over again. And that was his ministry. They were always, the Jews were always seeking to hinder him or even kill him in a variety of uh, cities, variety of circumstances. And the ministry didn't stop. His ministry didn't stop because of that. And the pain that he felt because of it, that didn't cause his ministry to stop. Just because people wanted to kill him, throw him in jail, do whatever they wanted, that didn't stop Paul because he had a sense of his ministry. And this is what we're going to sense throughout the whole speech he gives to these elders. Paul had a sense of his ministry, of his calling. He knew what he needed to do. And he's communicating to them what they need to do. Nothing was going to stop Paul because he wanted to please his master. He wanted to serve his king. He wanted to fulfill his duty, his responsibility. You think of his conversion and how dramatic that was. Seeing the Lord Jesus. It was pretty clear what he was called to do, wasn't it? Jesus told him, you're going to go, you're going to suffer many things for my name. And we're going to see his accounting of his testimony later on. Uh, But he goes into detail saying, you're going to go among the Gentiles and you're going to be my witness. And Paul knew that that was his ministry and nothing was going to stop him. And in verse 20, he says, as he was fulfilling his ministry, what was he doing? He was not shrinking from declaring all that was profitable, teaching them in public and teaching them from house to house. And drop down to verse 27, he says again, I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. So Paul says in verse 20, he didn't stop from teaching what was profitable. Profitable, it's a good word. It means things that are gathered together, brought together for an advantage or for the betterment of all people. He did not rob them of anything. If he knew of something that would advance them in their Christian thinking and their spiritual maturity, whatever it may be, he didn't rob them. But he offered them all that he had as an apostle of God, one who had been especially equipped to teach, someone who had been inspired to write scripture. Paul was able to teach them all things that were profitable and for their betterment. He robbed no one at all. And that, because he he didn't stop, because he didn't hold back, that made him innocent. Look at verse 26. He says, I am innocent of the blood of all of you. Now, usually you you think of a phrase like that in a really tense circumstance where people are accusing you and you say, I'm innocent of your blood. But this wasn't a tense circumstance. Paul is just pouring his heart out saying, I gave it all to you. And I'm innocent of anything that anyone might charge against me. I'm innocent of your blood because I was a faithful witness. I was a faithful apostle 
among you. And this is similar to uh, the role that Ezekiel had. You guys remember Ezekiel being called a watchman? Remember that? And uh, let's turn back there together. Turn to Ezekiel chapter 3. Ezekiel 3 is the first place we'll look in this big book. Ezekiel was a prophet in Israel. And God gives him an amazing ministry. I'm glad it wasn't my ministry. (laughs) Uh, But I'm glad it was Ezekiel's ministry. And let's look at verses 16 to 21. Someone want to read Ezekiel 3, 16 to 21? Okay. Old Testament. (laughs) At the end of seven days, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, I have appointed you a watchman to the house of Israel. Whenever you hear a word from my mouth, warn them from me. When I say to the wicked, you will surely die, and you do not warn him or speak out to warn the wicked from his wicked way that he may live. That wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood I will require at your hand. Yet, if you have warned the wicked, and he does not turn from his wickedness, or from his wicked way, he shall die in his iniquity, but you have delivered yourself. Again, when a righteous man turns away from his righteousness and commits iniquity, and I place an obstacle before him, he will die, since you have not warned him. He shall die in his sin and his righteous deeds, which have he good which he has done shall not be remembered, but his blood I will require at your hand. However, if you have warned the righteous man that the righteous should not sin, and he does not sin, he shall surely live, because he took warning, and you have to live yourself. All right. So the role of the prophet as a watchman is to warn the wicked when God says warn the wicked. And if he doesn't heed your warning, that's on him. But if God has told you to warn the wicked and you don't, as a prophet of God, well, his blood is on your hands. Wow. Wow. Again, glad I didn't have Ezekiel's ministry, uh, but uh, glad Ezekiel had it. And Paul is echoing some of those same thoughts. Stay in the book of Ezekiel. Go to chapter 33 with me. Ezekiel 33. It's the same, same thought, communicated in a little bit different language. I'll read these, starting at verse 1. Ezekiel 33, starting at verse 1. It says, The word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, speak to your people and say to them, If I bring the sword upon a land, and the people of the land take a man from among them, and make him their watchman, and if he sees the sword coming upon the land, and blows the trumpet and warns the people, then if anyone who hears the sound of the trumpet does not take the warning, and the sword comes and takes him away, his blood shall be upon his own head. He heard the sound of the trumpet and did not take, take warning, his blood shall be upon himself. But if he had taken the warning, he would have saved his life. Verse 6, But if the watchman sees the sword coming and does not blow the trumpet, so that the people are not warned, and the sword comes and takes any one of them, that person is taken away in his iniquity, but his blood I will require at the watchman's hand. So you, son of man, I have made a watchman for the house of Israel. 
Whenever you hear a word from my mouth, you shall give them a warning from me. If I say to the wicked, O wicked one, you shall surely die, and you do not speak to warn the wicked to turn from his way, that wicked person shall die in his iniquity, but his blood I will require at your hand. But if you warn the wicked to turn from his way, and he does not turn from his way, that person shall die in his iniquity, but you will have delivered your soul. Wow. Seriousness about that ministry. And uh, we're not Ezekiel, thankfully. Uh, And those words weren't spoken to us. But there is a sense in which we have been given the responsibility as Christ's ambassadors, haven't we? And if we see the sword coming and we don't blow the trumpet, we're not doing our duty, are we? (laughs) It is our role as Christians. How will they hear without a preacher? Romans chapter 10. Well, we are the ones who have been sent. And Paul viewed himself as an apostle, which the word apostle literally means what? Do you know? Sent one. Good. He was the sent one, and he saw his ministry sent to the Ephesians as declaring to them all that's profitable from the word of God, delivering to them all of the counsel of God. And because he did do that, in verse 26 again he says, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all of you. Not saying, what's wrong with you guys? He's just saying, I've done my role. I've fulfilled my role. I've done my ministry. And I didn't hold back. His public witness was consistent with his private witness too, we see here in verse 20. It wasn't just in public that he fulfilled his duty, but it was also from house to house. There are some ministers of the gospel out there who are one way publicly and another way from house to house. Not so with Paul. He was the same. You got the same person and the same ministry, whether you were out in public or in the privacy of your own home. And his conscience was clear because of that. He could say to them, to their faces, remember, they're meeting on the island. He's not writing a letter to them. They're all there in Miletus. He's looking in their eyes. And he's saying to them, you know how I was among you, how I fulfilled my ministry among you. His conscience was totally clear. And that's maybe the most powerful ministry tool is a clear conscience. A minister or any Christian who's looking to serve in any capacity, really, who doesn't have a clear conscience, that ministry is going to be hindered. But when you can look someone in the eye and say, I know and you know, that's powerful, very powerful. And you're liberated to serve the Lord and to serve people in amazing ways. Thoughts on that? Anything up to that point? Yeah. Forgot to turn my noises off. <laughs> so is this true no matter what the relationship? Could you elaborate more? Use more well, words? I'm not just saying brother to brother in um, amongst the block, but um, in other relationships outside, you know, family, extended family, that kind of hmm. The conscience aspect? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I think it's part and parcel to human relationships. Um, Now, there is the dynamic, particularly when you're dealing with believer and unbeliever, where perhaps there's baggage in the past and the unbeliever doesn't forgive, but you've moved on. 
And that's always going to be kind of awkward uh, because that person hasn't let go. And that's not your fault as a believer. Um, your conscience should still be clear, but that will change the relationship dynamic. Well, I never witnessed to my dad and he died the best of my knowledge. I'm repentant and reprobate. But my stepfather, I did. Hmm. And it was, uh, it was interesting because literally the last time I saw him in his life was after it spoken to him that night. Hmm. The next day, there was ugliness. Hmm. So Stacy and the kids and I have to leave. Wow. Yeah. So. yeah. But I mean, even, you know, I, I'm not trying to say that because there's like a broken vessel to me, right? You know, so I didn't, I'm not saying I was eloquent or anything like that, but I do know that the spirit was moving that night. And I do, you know, I, I know that when you heard the gospel, yeah, and there is something about that particular part of our, our mission, our collective mission, to proclaim the gospel. Because I, I became a believer at 16, and uh, my school was small, K through 12, all, all in the same building. Uh, my graduating class was 37, and the majority of us were together since kindergarten. Uh, and one of my friends I actually went to daycare with before kindergarten, so we'd known each other since we were three. Um, I became a Christian at 16, and um, the night before graduation, he came over to my house and stayed the night, and uh, I hadn't had the gospel conversation with him yet, and that was just eating at me. <laughs> like, he's, your, he's been your best friend for your, basically your whole life at that point. Uh, and so I, I did. I shared the gospel with him. Talk about broken vessel. Uh, boy, J Jeremy, who had only been a Christian for about a year and a half, I don't know what words exactly came out. <laughs> Certainly not the way I would phrase things today, but uh, I tried. I was doing my best to be faithful to what I knew at that point. And uh, there is something about having a clear conscience after that, where we didn't talk much at all after graduation. That was pretty much the end of that. But we had that conversation. And then there were other... And I had an atheist friend that I did that to, too. But then there were other friends I, I didn't. And there is something like unfinished business that is left there. And we can't go around telling everybody um, that we've ever met the gospel. We, we just It's impossible. You physically can't do it. Um, so we need to be careful about how much we condemn ourselves with that. But we also need to be careful about giving ourselves so much grace that we don't fulfill our duty. So if you feel find that balance. Work it out with the Lord. You'll find that balance. And, uh, and know that he does forgive and you can move forward in grace. Dean? No, he can't you tell you any more friends. That's exactly it, yeah. <laughs> Needed new friends. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, that's pretty much the only reason, yeah. <laughs> well was running dry in Missouri. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. Any other thoughts or questions? Okay, we'll just keep, keep moving along. Verse 21. Verse 21, it says, uh, it, he goes even further. Okay, what was he declaring? What was the content of his message? Right here. Testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. That's how he sums up the content of his ministry. Uh, he, he viewed his whole mission as this. 
to declare to both Jews and Greeks repentance and faith. Uh, We can see this later in the book of Acts. Turn with me to chapter 26, just a few pages over, where Paul is in front of King Agrippa. Spoiler alert, if you didn't know. (laughs) Uh, That's where the story's going. Paul is uh, before Agrippa. And let's look at verses 15 to 20, where Paul is telling this king what his ministry was. Uh, Chapter 26, 15 to 20. Who can read that for us? Okay. And I said, Who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But get up and stand on your feet, for this purpose I have appeared to you, to appoint you a minister and witness, not only to the things which you have seen, but also to the things in which I will appear to you, rescuing you from the Jewish people and from the Gentiles, to whom I am sending you, to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light, and from the dominion of Satan to God. They may receive forgiveness of sins, and inheritance among those who have been sanctified by faith in me. So King Agrippa did not prove disobedient to the heavenly vision, but kept declaring both to those of Damascus first, and also at Jerusalem, and then throughout all the region of Judea, and even to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds appropriate to repentance. All right, so he gives an account of what Jesus said to him on the road. And this, there, there are three different accounts in the book of Acts where Paul is um, reciting what happened to him when Jesus met him. And we get uh, some more information with each one. So you see in this passage here what Jesus said to him, and uh, that's a little more information than we got back in chapter 9. It's a little fuller message there. But Paul's response to it all at this point in his life, he says, Therefore, king... I didn't disobey my Lord Jesus Christ, but he was obedient, and that obedience looked like this. Verse 20, to to the Jews and to the Gentiles, declaring to them that they should repent and turn to God and perform deeds in keeping with repentance. That is how Paul summarized his ministry. Out of all the things he could have said, I mean, think of all the things Paul wrote, all the things Paul experienced, all the things that Paul ended up doing in his ministry. He summed it up with, turn to God, repent, and turn to God. That was the summary of his ministry. That was his goal in all of his ministry. Repentance means to turn from sin. It's a critical aspect of the gospel message, to repent. Paul, Peter, all the different apostles that we see in the book of Acts going out and declaring the message of the gospel, they give this command to the people, repent, to turn, to turn from sin, and to turn to God, and that's what faith is, to turn to God, to turn to the Lord Jesus Christ and believe in what Jesus has done, his finished work, to let go of the sinful way that you've had, running away from God, and to lay hold of the cross. That's what the gospel is. Let go of the things God hates, namely your prideful rebellion against him and all that encompasses and lay hold of the cross, recognizing that the work is finished in Jesus, and believe in Jesus, and become a Christian, become righteous in Jesus, and live for your Creator. That's the gospel message. So what does that, if you were to sum it up, what does that message sound like? I want to hear someone say it in their own words. This message of verse 21, testifying to someone, repentance toward God, and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Can we articulate this? Are we, are we Christians equipped to articulate the gospel? Let's see if, we, if someone is brave enough to do it. 
because if we can't do it, then we probably want to stop this lesson and talk just about that. All right. <laughs> so who's going to be bold and brave here this evening? I won't look at anyone directly. I'll just look for hands. <laughs> do, do, do. Travis. Yeah, I was going to call on you because you're the guy who's going to get called on for everything for the next 10 days or so. <laughs> You've earned it. But here's the, here's the thing I would say to a person. I would say to a person, we, you and me both, are sinners in the eyes of a just God. Turn from that sin that has been paid for by Jesus. Okay. That, that, that's all, that's all I'm that is not okay. Now expand. Uh, let's like you do on your phone. How you can zoom in. Let's let's zoom in on that. Uh, what what has been paid for by Jesus? What is what is his work that has paid for sin? Open that up a little bit. That always happens to me. The cross. Jesus has paid for that on the cross. So so they must back up that thing. So we're both. You are sinner. A sinner in the eyes of a just and holy God. Turn from that sin that was paid for on the cross by Jesus Christ in your place. And then I lost my, lost my <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah, on the cross, and and then did he he died? Oh, he resurrected. That changes everything. Okay. Good, 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 good. Okay. So, so what are some? What are the essential elements then? Re recap them. What are the essential elements in that declaration of the gospel? God is holy. Okay. Man is sinful. <laughs> yeah. Good. Good. All right. Um, Jesus paid for that sin by dying, being buried, and was resurrected. And Jesus was perfect. Perfect without <laughs> sin. Kind of was what I led off with. I kind of felt like with the holy Good. 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 Okay, let's do one more. After seeing what Travis just went through, nobody wants to volunteer. <laughs> One more person. Articulate the gospel. Give us three sentences, two sentences. Let's say two words. We're all sinners before a holy God. We all fall short of his standard. Good. Good. Yeah, I just read a good quote today. I was reading a little pamphlet by a guy who lived a couple hundred years ago. And uh, there's a line in there that says, the only place that God deals with men in mercy is the cross. Uh, that's a good, good way to encapsulate that. Because everywhere else it's wrath, isn't it? But at the cross it's mercy. 
good stuff. Okay, good. Well, that was his message that he was declaring in each and every city, including Ephesus. Now let's look at verses 24 to 27. Someone read that section as a whole for us. Chapter 20, verses 24 to 27. Who's got it? Melissa. Yep, 24 to 27. But I do not account my life to any value, nor as precious to myself. If only I may finish my course in the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus, to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now, behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about to play for the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all of you. For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. All right, so in the first section, uh, the first verses we looked at, we saw Paul recounting how he was a faithful teacher among them. And now, he's going to be talking about the future, and he's going to be talking about how he's ready for what's next. And according to these verses, Paul knew some stuff about what was next, and he knew not some stuff. There was some stuff he knew, some stuff he didn't know. He knew what in verse 22? Oh, I should have to start in 22. Sorry. Uh, verse 20, verses 22 and 23, it says, And now, behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. Um, so what did he know, according to verse 22? Going to Jerusalem. Going to Jerusalem. And he knew that because... Yeah, yeah, he, yeah, he was constrained or bound by the Holy Spirit, it says in verse 22. His conscience was constrained about where he was to go next. No one was going to throw him off his course because the Holy Spirit is who? God. Good. And if God binds your conscience, you better listen, all right? And Paul was going to listen. He was headed to Jerusalem. He was set on going to Jerusalem because uh, the Holy Spirit had communicated that to him in some form or fashion. We don't know if that was the Holy Spirit speaking to him directly or if there was a person in Paul's life that was a prophet or, or however it worked out, but uh, he was bound by the Spirit. And uh, you know, we talked about this a little bit last week, how in ministry people are, are free to move about. We see it in the book of Acts all the time. This group goes here, that group goes there, this guy, that guy. They move around. And uh, people will have convictions about being in certain places or doing certain activities or participating in certain ministries. And Paul had a conviction that he was to be in Jerusalem at Pentecost. That was his ministry conviction for that season of life. So he knew that he was headed to Jerusalem. Um, what else did he know, according to verse 23? Yep, <sighs> rough times ahead, yeah. He, was, uh, he wasn't going to Jerusalem for a surprise party for himself. Uh, well, maybe it was a surprise party, but not the kind that he would want to have. Um, he was going to suffer more persecution, that he would be imprisoned, and that there were afflictions waiting for him in Jerusalem. Uh, and that was really part and parcel to Paul's ministry, wasn't it? His ministry was getting afflicted everywhere he went. It wasn't just in Jerusalem. It was everywhere he went. As we talked about earlier, he was being persecuted and being afflicted in some way. Um, and he also knew something in verse 25. Uh, what does it say in verse 25 that he was pretty certain about? 
This would be the last time the Ephesian elders would see him. Again, they were close. They had to have been close. And we'll look at this next week, but you see down at verse 37, when Paul's getting ready to leave, what are the Ephesian elders doing? Weeping. They knew they weren't going to see Paul again because apparently the Spirit had told them that also. And they were weeping because they would not see uh, Paul anymore. And uh, boy, they just they loved each other. Amazing stuff. But his outlook has remained the same. His outlook on ministry, his outlook on service, it's all right there in verse 24. Accounting his life as not having any value, he was only wanting to finish his course in the ministry that he received from the Lord Jesus. He didn't want to use his life as something for his own advantage, but to the advantage of others. Uh, and that's what he said earlier, uh, in verse, back in verse 20. He was declaring to them everything that was advantageous, everything that was profitable. He didn't see his own life as something that he should earn a profit off of, but his own life was for the profit of others. What an amazing example of service. He was not looking to advance himself. He was looking to advance others. Can you imagine if everybody in every church did that? If we were all not counting ourselves as more important than others, but others as more important than ourselves, the attitude that we're supposed to have, uh, what an amazing, amazing thing. His focus was on his ministry, on his calling, the mission that Jesus Christ gave him, the Great Commission to go and to make disciples of all nations. He took it very seriously, and that was his motivation. He wanted to please the Lord in all that he did. He loved his calling as a minister of the gospel. He didn't do it begrudgingly, did he? <laughs> last night, uh, at the end of dinner, Ada is always the last one to finish her meal. And uh, she's just picky and slow. I don't know who she gets that from. But... Uh, <laughs> Her peas were the last thing to be eaten. So there were the peas. And just, you know, one at a time. When, when provoked, <laughs> uh, she'll eat one at a time. And uh, the boys were done and out playing, and Melissa and I were done and sitting there. And uh, Melissa told Ada, she said, okay, I'm going to go to the bathroom. And when I come back, will you have all your peas eaten? And then it was like, okay, there's something that we can measure time by. You know, let's see if we can do it. And she did it, but she did it begrudgingly. She received a mission, and she did it begrudgingly. Well, Jesus, when he encountered Paul on the road, uh, Paul knew Jesus was coming back. And he gave a mission. This is what you were to do. And Paul didn't do it begrudgingly. He did it joyfully. He did it with energy, with vigor, with what preachers of old would call unction. Paul had unction about his role as a Christian and particularly as an apostle. And he took his calling seriously. He was going about from city to city, evangelizing that city, installing local church leaders, and then moving on to the next city. He was passionate about that. That was his ministry. And so as you think through what calling God has given you, what ministry God has given you, and that can change season to season, what gifting God has given you, Think through that, and I hope you have a passion for it, because our master is returning. And here we are, in the meantime, serving, and uh, we need to be passionate about what God has given us. Paul's a great example, and he's you can just feel him communicating his passion to these elders. 
that he just loved the ministry. He loved serving people. He loved washing feet. He loved making himself low that others would be brought up. He loved it. It doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense, does it? He loved getting beat up for the gospel. Because he had the the same view as Peter and John back in Acts 5. They rejoiced after they got beaten up. Do you remember why? They were counted worthy to be persecuted. It just, it doesn't make sense. But that's what the gospel does. It shames the wise of the world with the weak. And it makes, uh, you know, it takes the weak and the foolish things to shame all the things that the world says are strong and wise. That's what the cross does. And that's what you see in Paul's life. And uh, these elders had a task in front of them. By the way, it does say elders, plural. And back in, this is a side point, all the way back in verse 17. Elders are plural, but church is singular. That's the pattern you see in the book of Acts, by the way, which is why our church has a plurality of elders. Because local churches are to have a plurality of pastors, overseers, presbyteros, episcopos. Okay. All right. Okay, other thoughts or questions? I ended quite a bit early. Mark. Just a thought on it. Paul's comment about his life is in sharp contrast to what you see in the media and so on. Love yourself, tell yourself you're wonderful, hmm. all of the, those. Yeah. You must build yourself up mm-hmm. to live in this world. Paul is giving us an example of what by. And it's it just that you were saying it's so amazing. Um, you know, if if the Holy Spirit were to come and speak audibly to me and say, Mark, you go to Payson tonight, you're going to jail, and they're going to beat you in jail. <laughs> oh, I just remembered I got to work late. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm feeling like I got the COVID. Yeah, all right. So, yeah. uh, He's going to Jerusalem so that maybe one would hear, or you know, that is to preach it doesn't matter who hears, but that someone would hear. Yes. Regardless of the consequences. And, um, you know, obviously God gives different men different strengths and abilities, but um, we don't want to. We want to look at that and, uh, as a, an amazing example that whatever it took to serve Christ. He, I'd yeah. love to think that if I knew that if I showed up at Payson uh, and, and came to church uh, and I would be persecuted for doing that, that I would still come. I would hope that would be said. Amen. And obviously we won't ever know that. I think we're coming to a time that that might be something we, we will be challenged with. But um, you know, we can find hope and uh, meaning and, and know that this is an acceptable course for a Christian that loves God. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, it's definitely the opposite of what pop culture tells us about believing in ourselves, and it's the opposite of those quote-unquote preachers who make lots of money off uh, the ministry, too. You don't, I don't think uh, Kenneth Copeland, do you guys know who Kenneth Copeland is with his jets and all that? I don't think his life verse is, 
I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself. I think he thinks pretty highly of himself. Uh, yeah. yeah, what he pays in, in uh, taxes is several times over what the richest person here in this church makes. So, pretty wild. Not, nothing wrong with being rich, but getting rich that way, there's a lot of stuff wrong with that. Not cool. In fact, sinful. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes, indeed. And there are lots and lots of bad ministries out there and lots and lots of uh, bad people with influence, but there are lots and lots of good ones too, whose names we don't know, uh, who are just plodding along faithfully. And we're thankful for them, aren't we? So, um, Travis, you want to come up here? <laughs> you ever spoken in tongues before? No, I'm just kidding. Come on. <laughs> you wanna since there's only a week and a half or so that we have left with you, some people in here haven't heard your testimony. You wanna share your story of coming to the Lord? And uh we'll close with that tonight. How about that? Okay. Let's see. How far? Well, okay. you were born at a very young age. Yeah, when I was six. No, listen here. So I, I did grow up all, all here, or, or grew up here, and um, pr- pretty normal. Pretty, you know. You were for this area, pretty normal. Not, not. Anyway, yeah. Let me just get to the point here. So, so in my in my uh, youth, I had railed against God because God was a man, they had told me. And so I thought, you know, all these things that are so messed up, I'm going to do better when I get to be God anyway. So that's where I was coming from. So I'm just going to do what I want to because I have an eternity to get better and, and, and work anyway. So as I'm doing these things for years on end, just ripping my body apart, doing whatever... Uh, thrill-seeking adventure, uh, rock climbing things with no ropes, uh, just, what am, you know, I'll get up to the top, okay, I'm up here, but how do I get down? Well, just, I'll just jump into a tree and tumble down there and grab onto one at the end, hopefully. Anyway, so that kind of thing, just ripping myself apart. So one day with all of that, so that's a little bit of backstory, and I'll stop there because it gets pretty grisly. So one day, I spent a day with a friend of mine, and we were riding around town, and Decided to get on a motorcycle right up here right by the mouth of the canyon. And so I'm riding along with him. He's driving. I'm on the back and going, you know, not incredible fast, but for me, it's not incredible fast. For you guys, probably break neck. Anyway, wreck the bike. I'm thrown and I snap my back and 
this was this, and I, I had to get on an ambulance to the hospital and then up to the hospital in Salt Lake U of U and a helicopter. That was my second helicopter ride, my sixth ambulance ride. And, and so anyway, as I'm up there, the doctor says, this is important, that what he said to me, what he said, what I'd heard six, more than six times, was, I can't believe you're still alive. Because, you know, the x-rays, you're looking at this, all the bones sticking through lungs, and, you know, I'll stop there. And, and so, <laughs> so, I heard that, again, seven times, over. But this time, I didn't say what I usually said, well, that's because I'm tough. That's how come I'm still alive. Because I got through wrecks. I mean, I took a Chevrolet at 55 T-boned on the driver's side, and I was back to work that Thursday. It was on a Saturday, I was back to work the next Thursday, because I'm tough, right? Anyway, this time I'd, I'd been paralyzed. It just, just snapped my back, and, and anyway, so then he says, yeah, I can't believe you're still alive. You're paralyzed, but I can't believe you're still alive. So anyway, and I'm sitting there, and I didn't say this time, I didn't say, that's because I'm tough. I said, I don't know, why am I still alive? So I just sort of, you know, embraced this life, because I figured I'd be in a chair years before, you know, or dead, I didn't care, anyway. So as I'm sitting there in the hospital room, I'm, I'm working this new wheelchair, I'm working my arms, getting back into shape, you know, trying to deal with this lung that's collapsed and all this stuff. But they won't let me, I mean, I'm working out dawn to dark, you know, but they won't let me work out on Sunday. Sunday they shut the whole thing down and I'm just stuck, you know. I got no TV, I'm not going to watch TV, what is there? So, so I'm sitting there, well, well, I'm there better part of a month, and my brother shows up with Lee, Lee Whitmer, and he's got a Bible with him. Well, he's you know, chit-chat talking, he hands me a Bible. He says, here, just have this, read it, you know. The other thing I've been taught was that who knows who God is, it's, you know, it's, it's up in the air, you can make your own God. But one thing they jammed into my head since I was <laughs> this big was the Bible is inaccurate. It's missing pieces. It's, you know. So I get this Bible and say, yeah, yeah, okay, I'll read that. Because what's the point? It's missing stuff. Right? It's not even complete. So what can I trust? It's, some of it's made up, they told me. Anyway, that's just what they told me. I never read it for myself. So as I'm sitting there, the, a week goes by. Because, again, I'm working hard this. It came up on a Sunday. Did I tell you that part? It came up on a Sunday. It gives me a Bible. I didn't read it then. The rest of the week was working out hard, you know. And then here comes the Sunday. Again, just, you know, five in the morning, staring at the ceiling. What am I going to do? They won't let me. They locked up the gym. Yeah, what's up? So I couldn't get in there. I couldn't get outside. I'm just a prisoner. So I get this Bible. I said, oh, let me get this thing. Let me say, fine, I'll read this thing. I'll read a little bit of it. I'm not going to read the whole thing. That's what I said. So I read Proverbs 3. I don't know how many people get saved by Proverbs, <laughs> but I still find it hilarious. I think it's just, God works in such mysterious ways. But I read, I read, first thing I read, I read, uh, my son, do not loathe my reproof. No, do not, uh, what is it, somebody help me here. My son, do not reject the discipline of the Lord or loathe my reproof. Whom the Lord loves, he disciplines just as a father, the son in whom he delights. And I close that thing and it just, dawns on me that God is not some guy that did real good. He is God. And then it's, I, I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, all these things, I've been breaking my back, I've been doing all these things, that I've been breaking arms and doing all these things, fighting and doing terrible things, you know. And, and all these times I've been getting 
put the hospital, just because I went to six ambulances and two helicopters, that's not the only hospital stays I had. I mean, I drove myself several times. People drove me also to hospitals, you know, to get stuff fixed. And those things, I'm sitting there thinking, wait, are those things disciplined? Because I was, every single time, I wasn't just an innocent bystander and got hit by something. It was me doing something stupid. So it was, it was good. I, I felt like, anyway, God was saying, look, you've been doing dumb things. Here's my discipline. Crack, broke arm, crack, this, broke head, broke leg, whatever, you know, all these things like this. Puncture here, puncture there. Just disciplining me. And I'm thinking, what's going on with that? You know, discipline me for, for what? I mean, I, you know, anyway. So as I'm reading that, do not loathe, because I was sort of thinking, man, I hate that I can't do stuff, because I'm laid up, I'm broke down. And I'm sort of thinking, okay, that's, he's, again, another, as I'm reading this proverb, I'm hearing, I'm hearing myself say, I can't do this, it's not about me. So I'm sitting there thinking, don't loathe my reproof, you know, and don't, don't reject the disciplines, okay? He's disciplining me, disciplining me both, both you're doing wrong things, so the father spanks the son, you know, his son, and, and, and corrects him, you know. And so I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about all these things, all these, you know, emergencies, the things that have happened to me, and I'm getting, I'm not getting punished, but I'm getting corrected. Say, like, quit that, quit that. I can almost look back in years, years and years behind me and say, nope, nope, nope. But I said, yeah, I'm going to do it anyway. You know, I'm going to do it anyway. So, so I'm just wrestling with this all in one day. You know, I'm talking about just, just reading that Proverbs 3. And then, and then I'm starting to come to terms with, okay, God is not just some guy. God is God, and he is, right? And I start understanding that he is. So then I start reading more, I start reading more and more. And, and years goes by because I'm still fighting it. Because what does the Bible say? <laughs> Let go of self, right? Die to self. I don't want to do that. I like stuff that I like to do. I want to get back to what I was doing and also um, read the word and, and be good, you know, but also be like I am. Because I was fun. <laughs> I, I thought, no one other than me thought that, but, but so I wanted to do both. Anyway, I'm getting to the point here. So, so as I'm sitting there, I'm trying to think, okay, so how do I keep both? I can keep this lifestyle of how I've always lived, plus with Payson Bible Church, you know, which I did start going. Uh, how can I do that? Well, obviously you can't. So I'm sitting here one day. I, I think I'm getting it. I keep coming to church kind of regularly. A couple of times a month for me is pretty regular. And then I'm sitting here one day. I've been reading the book of John. Four years I'm going through the book of John. And, and, and as I'm reading it before church one time, Diana Whitworth comes up. And as she's looking what I'm reading, she points to John 1, 1 as I'm just reading it again, you know. And she says, yeah, in the beginning was the Word. Ain't that great? Jesus is the Word. Jesus is God. I didn't know that. I didn't get that. <laughs> she just says, yeah, ain't that great? She just walks away as though I knew that. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. And then here comes the sermon. So from, from then on, from then on, it was a, a, an eye-opening situation where I can just sit and, oh, praise God. Now I see Jesus here. I see Jesus here. I see where it's about Him. It's about Christ. Not about me. Not about you guys even, it's about all of us together celebrating and, and enjoying Jesus' crucifixion, burial, and resurrection, and, and celebrating his finished work to, to, to you know, uh, for us, for us, those who, who believe. And so that, and, and then since then, you know, just all you guys 
have come alongside me in a huge, huge way. I mean, Andy, my main man over here, but he was coming over, boom, 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 just every Thursday. Because again, you, you don't get around the body. You start slipping. You just start going this way and that. You're thinking, oh, this'll be fine, right? You start hearing yourself saying, oh, this'll be fine, justifying it, call somebody. Because it ain't gonna be fine. But he comes up and he's telling me, here's the word. Here's what the word says. And he's, you can't do this both things. It's, it's, it's Christ or nothing. It's, it's your spiritual life is life. You know? And he's helping me with this. And, and, and a lot of you guys have done the same thing. But So I believe, like I said, in the hospital, okay, I know God is. But it doesn't mean that everything's cool right then. It took a long time. It took that sanctification. It's still, y'all know me, it's, just, it's still, I'm still getting polished. You know what I'm saying? But, but that, that's the testimony. I mean, I don't know if that's cool enough or if there's more, but I mean, there is more. I can keep going. You know, but I mean, I, I wish it was a little cooler. Yeah, was it? <laughs> this, I don't know, but, but anyway. So, you're, so that, still, you're still fun, Charles. Okay, see myself, I, well, I, I didn't know. You know I, I kind of don't like hanging out with myself very often. <laughs> I mean, I like you guys. I don't want to be by myself. But. So anyway, that's kind, of, that's kind of not showing it. Yeah, and speaking of uh, Whitworth's, uh, those cards are on the literature table. If you guys haven't grabbed those, grab one. It's mm -hmm. a little card. Uh, Travis, you want to close this? Let's card? do that. Let's do that. Dear God, we do just thank you today, Lord God, for bringing us together in safety. Lord, this times are coming, as your word has said, that it's not going to be safe. We may face uh, some pretty harsh times, but dear God, help us to rejoice in those things. Help us to rejoice and understand that uh, this is the body of Christ. You've given this for us to withstand these things and to fight these things together as one. Help us to be unified in Christ and again celebrate his death, burial, and resurrection, Lord God, and just uh, celebrate that together and Lord just help us always to stay in your word and, and to keep in touch with each other and stay in each other's lives. Help us to uh, interrupt each other. Help us to to really just uh, talk to each other, find each other, call each other Lord God because we are family and you have put us here. Uh, Lord just help us to know, cause us to know uh, that you have brought us here to to be your body and to, to care for one another. And I just, Lord, just personally lift up this church and thank you for them, each and every one. I thank you, Lord, I praise you. Help us to love you, Lord, more than we do just now. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. 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 Thanks. Thanks.